Thank you. Good. Okay. Woo. I was going to say, David, maybe you needed to make that longer. His steadfast love endures forever. Is that true? Yeah, come on. That's true. You know, everything we do here, if we do this thing we call church correctly or well in a God-honoring way, everything we do here is worship. Everything from coming in the door and greeting your fellow Christian in a hospitable way, with a smile, perhaps with a holy kiss. Be careful, though. Don't get in trouble. This isn't the first century anymore. I'm not sure that would fly. But to come into this place and to sing songs of worship, to sing how great God is unto him, to give of tithes and offerings, to partake in the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, the ordinance of the church, to read publicly Scripture, to hear the admonition of God's Word. We should all be in a spirit of worship as we do that. I pray that's where your heart's position is today. But the public reading of Scripture is incredibly important, not just because it's worship, but because we read about it in Scripture, in 1 Timothy four thirteen through 16, we read, Until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. <clears throat> Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by the prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands upon you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself And on the teaching, persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and the hearers. We read Scripture publicly, not just because it's good for the congregation, right? But because God, through the apostle, told us to do so. If we as Christians are to live not on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, then we should read every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so something like Psalm 136, while you may be critical of its repetition, is incredibly edifying when we read it aloud. Speaking of repetition, his steadfast love endures forever. This is not a stylistic deficit in that psalm, by the way. Remember, this is a song that would be sung unto God, and that would be considered an emphasis. You know, human nature hasn't changed in 3,000 years, and so when this psalm, which is a worship song, was written for the people of God to use to praise him, you know how we are. We, We tend to remember the things we remember and We discard the rest, sometimes not intentionally, but that that emphasis would be in there was important for the psalmist. If you think that we aren't so repetitive today, perhaps you should remember that song, Trading My Sorrows, where it says, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord, amen. That might be a stylistic deficit in that song. 
but certainly not in the Psalms. Not a stylistic weakness at all. Today we're going to talk about prayer. I'm grateful that Pastor Steve, who's not feeling well, you could certainly be praying for him, would have asked me to come and speak um, in his stead today and that under the authority of our senior pastor and our elders, I've been asked to speak today. And so I'm grateful for that opportunity. But uh, <clears throat> I've got this prayer message on my heart based on what I've been reading. And so I want to, um, I want to share that with you today. You may feel like, and you may give the response that, Sometimes if someone would ask you, so when you go to church, like, what hey, what do you do? Well, we sing songs and we say hi to the people that we like. And then one of the pastors will usually read a scripture and give a, give a story out of the Bible or tell, uh, tell us what we should know. And usually it's like all boils down to pray more and read your Bible more. Never feel that way? I can assure you that if that is the repetitive nature of what you feel like is coming out of God's word, it is not a stylistic deficit in, uh, from a pastoral perspective. It's for the purpose of emphasis. It may feel sometimes like we border on legalism when we talk about reading your Bible and praying, but they are so important to the people of God. How can we be in relationship with God if we don't talk to God? And how can we hear from God if we are not in his word? I don't stand before you here as a spiritual giant today who has the best prayer life or the best scripture reading plan. It's not about performance. It's about life change. And so we want to focus on that today as we look at prayer. But prayer is not something that's uh, that's optional for Christians. Certainly it's, uh, again, as I said, we don't border on legalism here or we attempt not to border on legalism, but you can't be saved without prayer, certainly, right? You have to talk to God and surrender your life to him. So you've got to at least pray once. There's a condition there. And certainly you have to have either read his word or heard his word. So his word is important for salvation, but it's important for growth too. And we're all busy. I get it. But we have to think about what holy hungers the the Lord has placed inside of us when His Holy Spirit resides in us. We are given new desires. And so praying and reading your Bible um, is something we hear often. But Jesus expects us to pray as we look into the Scriptures. We see in uh, in Matthew chapter 6, in verse 5, Jesus says, And when you pray expectantly. And then in chapter 6, verse 6, but when you pray, and the rest of the verse, Matthew 6, 7, and when you pray, he says it again. In Matthew 6, 9, he says, pray then like this. In Luke eleven nine, 9, and I tell you, ask, seek, knock, right? Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. In Luke 18, 1, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not to lose heart. So Jesus, the one to whom we've surrendered our life and the one uh, that we are seeking to model our life after is very clear on prayer. We see him model it as well. He doesn't just tell us to do it. We see him go away even when the crowds are pressing in and there's ministry to be done and they need him because they require healing. He will separate himself from the crowd often and go off to pray to his father because it's like breathing to him. It's important. We see him model that. 
But God's word beyond the gospels exhorts us to pray as well. We see in Colossians 4.2, continue steadfastly in prayer. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. The reality is many Christians don't pray regularly because we don't feel like we know how to pray. Or we've prayed and we're not quite sure we got the formula right because sometimes it seems like God is there and other times it seems like I'm just talking to the ceiling and my prayers aren't making it out of the room, right? Or sometimes it seems as though God is there but has no willingness to answer prayer. And then I feel like maybe it's uh, I have a faith problem. Maybe I don't have enough faith. And that's why God's not answering my prayer. Or maybe it's not his will. Maybe I'm not walking in his will. There's a lot of things that can discourage us from prayer. In addition to that, our, our emotions are like a roller coaster, right? Sometimes it feels like we're walking in step with God and he's so present in our lives and we sense his life change and we sense his favor. And it's just like I'm up here. And I want to pray all the time. I just am praying because I feel like God's with me. And other times, we can get so low that we doubt those moments we've had with God in the past where we seem to have been up here. It's like, have we, have I, has it ever been real? Did I ever really surrender my life? Maybe I'm not even saved. Maybe God's not real. Unbelievers don't pray because they're afraid that God may be there. And believers don't pray because they're afraid that God might not be there. There's a lot of discouragement there. But then we remember that whether or not our feelings are communicating to us that God's there, our feelings, which are fickle things and will betray us every time, that they move like the tide and the wind and the waves... Just because you don't feel like God is active in your prayer or is hearing your prayer doesn't preclude his activity in your life. God won't be dictated by your human emotion. God is a God whose steadfast love endures forever. Right? That's why we read a psalm like 136, because we're going to be reminded of what he's done from parting the Red Sea to delivering the Israelites out of Egypt to defeating the Pharaoh and defeating Sihon and defeating Og. And while you may not remember all the details of the things that he's done, you will remember that his steadfast love endures forever. And so sometimes we don't feel like we know how to pray. <clears throat> One great way to learn how to pray is to take spiritual growth essentials with Pastor Steve, which starts on 428. It's on Wednesday nights from 6.30 to 8. 6.30 to 8. It's a four-week class. You should take that. It's really great. Um, So we can learn through instruction how to pray. Remember, prayer does not have to be formulaic. It's just talking to God. Okay? God may talk to you differently than he talks to me, and I may talk to God differently than you talk to God, but that's what we do in human relationships as well. Yes? Thank you. Somebody's listening. We learn to pray by praying, don't we? Just where do I start? I don't know. God, if you're real and if you're listening, and then just let it out. It's a great place to start that we learn through the practice of praying. We read in the New Testament, discipline yourselves 
for the purpose of godliness, right? This discipline is gymnazo. It's the word where we get gymnasium from. It means actually actively working to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. Prayer is a part of that. We learn to pray by meditating on Scripture. If you don't know where to start, you can always pick a psalm and pray the Scripture. Give thanks to the Lord of lords for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders because his steadfast love endures forever. When you don't have the words to pray, let God's word, let the prayers of the psalmist give you the words to pray. Let the prayers of Jeremiah weeping over the destruction of Jerusalem and his lamentations give you the words, of pray, words to pray. But you can pray from Scripture. I don't typically recommend that you would just like flip the Bible open and do that and then pray that because it's usually something like kill the Philistines. <laughs> right? But that'll work too. Start in a psalm. Pray the scripture. We learn to pray by praying with others. You remember Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen. That iron sharpens iron just as one person sharpens another. Sometimes the prayer of our heart is so heavy that we can't disentangle our thoughts from our feelings to, to articulate anything to God aloud and just need to pray with another believer that their prayer can be our prayer. That the Holy Spirit that lives within me and lives within them can testify to God and to, can pray on my behalf. So that should be part of our discipline as well, praying with others. We learn to pray by reading about, about prayer. Proverbs 13, 20 tells us that whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. There are great records, great spiritual heritage of men and women of God who have been faithful in their walk and in their life and have documented the work of God in their life and have documented their lives in a way that is God-honoring because we can look back at them and see what they dealt with and how they persisted and how they persevered and what their prayers were like and what the results of those prayers was. And we can stand on their shoulders, as it were. As a generation of the church, we should always be seeking to have learned the lessons of the prior generation so that we can present the bride of Christ without blemish to Christ. But we can grow and learn from previous generations and so learn about prayer by reading from men and women of prayer. And remember that prayer is answered. David in Psalm 65, 2 addresses God as, O you who hear prayer. That's a cool address. That's a cool salutation. I usually say, Heavenly Gracious Father, or Father, or God, or Lord. O you who hear prayer. What does that communicate about the station of David's heart when he communicates that way? I want to pray like that. I want to pray knowing that God, even though man is lowly, that who is man that God would be mindful of him, but that God inclines his ear to the prayers of his people, inhabits the praise of his people, the things I know and hear, would I know them enough in my heart to say, oh, you who hear prayer? 
What if we could pray like that? Today, we're going to spend most of our time talking about a man who also addressed God in that way, named George Mueller. George Mueller would have addressed God, oh, you who hear prayer. In his biography, there are several of them. This is a shorter one. It's by Roger Steer. It's called Delighted in God. It's about the life of George Mueller and the ministry that he had in Bristol, England. Another older biography is called George Mueller of Bristol. It was written many years prior to this one. But what is remarkable about someone like Mueller will not become evident until we get into his life a little bit. George Mueller lived from 1805 to 1898. He was born in Prussia. Mr. Corey, Prussia's not on my globe. You have a globe? You'll have to pull an old atlas to find Prussia, but you'll remember it's in Central Europe, yes? George Mueller grew up in Prussia. He was, grown, he, he was raised in a Christian home, uh, but he was a hell raiser in his late teens. <clears throat> Someone with whom I might not um, spend much time these days, but when I was his age, I would have hung out with George Mueller. He was a con artist. He was incarcerated several times. It, in one of his biographies, it begins by telling us how he was being questioned and They said, are you the same young man who was living in the inn down the street for several weeks and refused to pay your bill? And he said, yes, that was me. I fully intend to pay my bill. And they said, well, we just got a a notice from the county over that you just did the same thing last week. So you're going to have to spend some time here in jail. But he was a con artist. He he got out of jail and uh, his father was fairly chagrined that he had had to spend some time incarcerated. But he went away to university in that day and age, in the 1820s. If you wanted, uh, if you had the ability to be educated, but you wanted a comfortable life, you would seek to be in the clergy because it was job security. You'd have a job in the clergy even once you were no longer able-bodied. So his father desperately wanted him to be a pastor. And so he went to school to be a pastor, but he was not converted. Many at the time were not that way. I would say some... in our, in our seminaries today are the same. But uh, he was saved through a Bible study in late 1825. Mueller's friends, Mueller had just stolen a bunch of money from the university and gone on this lavish vacation with his friends, one of whom was a believer and says, hey, when we get back, I want you to go to this Bible study with me. And it was in the house of a professor. And so they would go there one evening and the professor would welcome him knowing that he was the guy who just stole a bunch of money from the university, but says, hey, you're, you're welcome here. And so they read scripture publicly, and they sang songs, and then they talked about Jesus. They read the gospel. And it wasn't but for a few times coming here where Mueller had a real life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. He would write in his, uh, in his journals, I was constrained by the love of Christ. I was confronted by what he had done for me, the sacrifice that he had made for me, and I was so constrained by that love that I had to surrender my life to him. That's a strong word, constrained. That's a captivity word. That's a slavery word, right? But that's what life surrender looks like. And so Mueller would turn his entire life around, and in 1826, he was convinced that God wanted him to become a missionary, 
You didn't just run off and be a missionary in those days. It was very strictly regulated by the missionary societies, the largest of which was in London. And so a a post opened up in Bucharest, and it was to minister to the Jews who were speaking, who were living there, the Hebrew-speaking Jews. And so Mueller said, well, that's for me. And he started studying Hebrew day and night, convinced that he was going to go preach the gospel to the Jews who lived in Bucharest. And several years he prepared for this, and, uh, and it fell through, completely fell through. But he knew Hebrew really well at this point. But then he got word from London that they actually wanted him to come there for a missionary post and to, uh, and to serve as pastor at several local congregations there in England. So in 1829, he would make his way to England. Uh, but before that, there was like this, this detour because all Prussian young men at the time had to spend one year in the military, the national military. But he was so convinced that he was to be a missionary in London, he prayed and said, God, if you really want me to go to London... Would you be able to get me out of this military service? Well, shortly thereafter, he would fall gravely ill, would not be able to complete his military service, got signed out a lifetime exemption from military service, and then he got well and went to London. And he immediately said this illness was from the Lord. He recognized that God had answered his prayer. And so began a, um, a remarkable shift in his prayer life. Not long after being in, uh, in London, his wife, uh, Mueller and his wife, decided that they wanted to open an orphanage. They took literally the passages in Scripture that talk about selling all of your earthly goods and giving them to the poor. And so they had done exactly that. And they said, we will uh, survive on what God provides for us. Now, up until this point, this is just another story about who, someone who may become a great missionary, but it's, it's fairly unremarkable, Right? We see life change. We see this rabble rouser who is converted and decides to be a missionary and goes to the place where God would have him to go. And so that's great. But what we realize that is fascinating about the Mueller's is that never once, remember, we're talking about starting an orphanage here in the, in the early 1830s and operating that orphanage until his death in 1898, not once ever asking for money from anyone, never asking for support for the orphanage. During the last two-thirds of the 19th century, they fed, clothed, housed, and educated more than 10,000 orphans, all from private donations, many of them anonymous, never once asked for it. They would have 2,000 orphans at a time in their care. And what is striking about Mueller and what really excites me about wanting to read more about him is that he was like voracious in his journaling. He journaled everything, every minute and mundane detail. It's a miracle the guy ever got any work done. But in his journals uh, from his long life and his long walk with Christ, there are over 50,000 entries of answered prayers. 50,000 answered prayers. 30,000 of which were answered the same day or even the same hour. George Mueller was an incredible man of faith. He and his wife operated this mission in Bristol, England for all those years, completely trusting that God would answer the, and, and fulfill the needs of the orphans. In fact, their personal needs. Remember, they sold all their earthly wares. 
And that is what I think we can be transformed by learning about. Reading in, uh, in his biography, they had just begun to ask God if the orphanage was going to be something that they could launch. They had procured a, a spot for it, and they, were begin- they didn't have any kids yet. They didn't have any workers yet. In fact, they didn't have any stuff, like the stuff you need for 2,000 kids at a time. And, uh, and they had prayed for provision. In the evening, a friend arrived at the Mueller's home with three dishes, 28 plates, three basins, one jug, four mugs, three salt stands, one cheese grater, four knives, and five forks. I told you he was detailed, didn't I? And he prayed, dear God, please give me further evidence of your favor towards the orphan house. While he was on his knees, while he was on his knees, someone delivered three dishes, 12 plates, and one basin and a blanket. And then, because he's audacious in his prayer, he says, thank you, Father. Please give me yet more encouragement today. A little later, he was given 50 pounds from an unexpected source. Dear Father, I dare to ask for even more evidence of your favor this very day. In the evening, 29 yards of material were sent and a woman who offered herself to work. And so on it went. And in a biography, you'll get several hundred of those prayers, but in his journals, you'll get 50,000 of those prayers. And they're incredibly specific. And what you realize is Mueller knew in his heart that if he opened an orphanage that was God's will, if those orphans were malnourished, or poorly clothed, or uneducated, it would sully God's reputation, and he wouldn't have that. And so he not only sought to do that well, but he asked God to be the one who provided the means by which to do it. And then he recorded the prayers so that generations like you and me would be able to look at that and say, whoa, what tremendous faith. One day they had run out of food. 300 children sat waiting for their breakfast. George prayed to God and thanked God for the breakfast that they were about to eat. They didn't have a breakfast. George prayed to God and thanked God for the breakfast that they were about to eat, confident that God would provide food for them. There was a knock at the door. And the baker was standing outside with a big load of bread. He said that God had woken him up earlier in the night and said to bake extra bread, more than usual, and take it to the orphanage. George said, thank you for the bread and took it inside for the children. Then there was yet another knock at the door. And this time it was the milkman for a wheel on his cart had broken outside of the orphanage. And he didn't want to leave the cart and go to get what he needed to fix it because he was afraid that the milk would be stolen. So instead, he decided to give the milk to George and the children. So breakfast was provided. Confession is good for the soul, but bad for the reputation, right? I don't pray like that. I don't pray like that. Some of you may, but I know many of you who don't either. I want to. What if... Many of us will, even when we journal our prayers, oftentimes it's the big prayers, right? It's the big heavy rock, the big impossible thing, the big move a mountain thing. And then we write that, we journal that, knowing full well that it may not be God's will. And even if it is his will, that it may not be his timing. And then we, tell, we, we say that our prayers haven't been answered and our faith is not strengthened except on the occasion that he answers that prayer. But what if, 
What if we realize that all all good things come from God and all provision comes from God? Mueller was certainly someone who at the end of his day could lay down and could come up quickly with a list of things for which he was grateful. He didn't have difficulty making a a gratitude list, did he? Because all day long he saw the things that were provided to him for his well-being and for the well-being of his ministry as coming from God anyways. And if, if we're praying in that way, and we're, at, and we're recognizing that the God of the universe, there's something, there's something so much more mind-boggling to me that the creator of the universe would be interested in the mundane details of my life than that he would be interested in the big thing. Surely if God's loving, he's interested in the big thing, but is God interested in the small things of my life? That's more incredible to me. And Mueller got that, and he understood that. But lest you think that George Mueller used God as some kind of cosmic bellhop, right? Some divine genie and just prayed to him and got everything that he wanted. Uh, Mueller understood about God's sovereignty and about God's will and about God's purpose. In June of 1835, Mrs. Mueller had lost her father, and a few days later, their son Elijah, a 15-month-old boy, had had fallen ill with pneumonia. And in his recorded prayers, Mueller says, Dear Father, be pleased to support my wife under this trial. If it is your will for the little one to die, please take him soon to yourself and spare him from suffering. This is the same guy who seems to say, give us provision and a cheese grater drops out of the sky, right? And falls into the house. When the Lord took from me my beloved infant, my soul was at peace, perfectly at peace. I could only weep tears of joy when I did weep. And why? Because my soul laid hold in faith on that word of such is the kingdom of heaven found in Matthew nineteen fourteen. Believing therefore as I did, Upon the ground of this word, my soul rejoiced instead of mourning that my beloved infant was far happier with the Lord than with me. So before we think of Mueller that that he really just had this under-the-table deal with God where he could ask and God would give it, he had big prayers too, many of which are found in his journals as well, many of which are answered immediately, and many which aren't. And so when we look at the life of someone like George Mueller, we're not sure what to do with that. Am I to be encouraged by this and strive for to mirror and to emulate that prayer pattern in my life? Am I discouraged because I know there's absolutely no way this will ever be me? Or am I just indifferent to it because... Neither one of those extremes seems to fit. There's really two uh, equal and opposite erroneous conclusions that we can come to. One of them that we can come to when we read about the life of Mueller is that that's how everyone's prayer life is supposed to look. Listen, it took 1,800 years for God to bring someone along and work in his life in the way that he worked in George Mueller's life. And he hasn't very many times since done so. So we don't want to look at Mueller's life and think that that's the way our prayer life should be. But we should also be very careful not to be encouraged by that and to say, man, there's something that this guy laid hold of from a, from a uh, prospect of, of 
faith and of the understanding of God's sovereignty and the provision of God and the gratefulness, the gratitude that can come from understanding that every good thing comes from God. But another error is, since I don't have faith like that, what's the point in trying? If that's the model, then what's the point in trying? Now, we don't look at, to George Mueller as somehow a better example of what it's like to, to pray and to have faith than we would look at our own Lord Jesus Christ, right? But George Mueller was somebody who was trying to emulate George, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we would look to his example, and we would be encouraged by his faith. But just in the way that God deals differently, uh, as we talked about prayer before, this is the way that I speak differently to God than you may speak differently to God. And God interacts with me differently than he might interact with you. Uh, Your prayer life and my prayer life and the prayer life of George Mueller are going to be very different. What we can see, though, is someone who, for the purpose of godliness, disciplined himself in prayer. And God showed up in a big way. Over and over again. And not only that, he had, the, he had the forethought to document such a thing in a way that would create a spiritual heritage that his children and grandchildren could certainly benefit from, but that you and I might look upon as well and say, wow, I want to rely on God in that way. That's how I want to rely on my God for the big and for the smallest things. God, God uniquely used George Mueller, but one thing we have to remember is the proof of faith is not always in success. Here we would define success as answered prayer or ministry fruitfulness um, or the provision even of God for the things that we need. It would be easy to look at our own life and hold it up and say, well, I'm not as successful in prayer as somebody like that. And so uh, there's no, maybe my faith is not as good, but often the proof of faith is found in perseverance when there is no success. Because sometimes God wants us to persist in our prayers to strengthen our faith in Him through that persistence. And through that, God crafts a Christ-likeness into us and a Christ-like patience when He requires persistence in prayer. And so something we don't want to be able to, or some, some error that we don't want to fall into is letting the enemy tempt us into this silent cynicism about God's willingness or ability to answer prayer. Don't let the enemy tempt you to be cynical about God's willingness or ability to answer your prayer. Be like David who says, Oh, you who hear prayer. Be like a George Mueller who will say, Father, maybe... After these three pretty incredible things that you've done today, would you, would you show me one more encouragement today? Would you, would you provide one more thing if this orphanage is your will? What we know about the life of Mueller is he was clearly walking in the will of God. We've got those unconditional prayer promises that we like to call them in the New Testament, right? The ones who tell us that if we ask anything in his name, it'll be given. They're incorrectly called the unconditional prayer promises by us because we see right there in those same scriptures the condition that it in fact be God's will. But if you're walking in God's will and you ask in faith, it will be done. That's what Mueller knew. He was clearly walking in God's will and relying on God for the big and for the small. And because he desired to give all the glory to God through, through 
capturing those prayers and the answers to them in his journals, God honored that. God honored that because God would get the glory. At the end of the service here, we're going to reprise Psalm 136. We're going to read through that again. And I'm going to ask something very bold of you today, that you would come forward for prayer. Many of you are carrying things that you weren't designed to carry. And as a church who believes in the power of prayer, this last year with the pandemic, man, we just got out of, it wasn't practical to have people come forward for prayer. But you've been praying in your seats. We've been praying for you. But we've made it really easy today. If you're comfortable enough, if you're convinced that you're comfortable and that you should come forward for prayer, I'm going to ask you to do so as we read this, uh, this psalm. And then the band's going to come out and do another song. And so there's time. There's a front row here, which is completely empty by design, so that if you want to come forward and pray down front, please do that. In, in addition, in all four corners of the room, we're going to have masked volunteers who want to hear your prayer and pray for you. Maybe you don't have the words and you just need to be prayed for, and that their prayer would be your prayer. Maybe your prayer is to come and kneel in the front and let the words of Psalm 136 be your prayer. But don't leave here today without doing business with God. As we begin reading, there's going to be a push and a pull in some of you. You're going to desire to come forward, but you won't. And you think, I'm, good en- I, I'm, I'm in a good enough place that I can stay here in my seat and this prayer would be private. But think about the other person who's in the same row or somewhere in the back or over here who really desperately needs to come forward but needs to see movement. We had a tremendous... A tremendous response in the first service. And so I would ask you to do this. Everything we do here is worship. Everything we do is worship. Let this be your prayer. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. Yes, come down forward. For him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. For him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made great Lights for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and the stars to rule over the night for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt for his steadfast love endures forever and brought Israel out from among them for his steadfast love endures forever with a strong hand and an outstretched arm for his steadfast love endures forever to him who divided the red sea into two for his steadfast love endures forever and made israel pass through the midst of it for his steadfast love endures forever but overthrew pharaoh and his host in the red sea for his steadfast love endures forever to him who led his people through the wilderness for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down the great kings, for his steadfast love endures forever. 
and killed mighty kings for his steadfast love endures forever. Sihon, the king of the Amorites, for his steadfast love endures forever. And Og, the king of Bashan, for his steadfast love endures forever. And he gave their land as a heritage because his steadfast love endures forever. A heritage to Israel, his servant, for his steadfast love endures forever. It is he who remembered us in our low estate for his steadfast love endures forever and rescued us from our foes for his steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food to all flesh for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven for his steadfast love endures forever. Oh, you who hear prayer, God among us, Hear the praises and the prayers and the petitions and the cries and the laments and the needs and the desires of your people. God, that you would incline your ear to them today. That this place would be a place of worship and of prayer. That we would learn in small measure from a great man of God. And he and his wife had a tremendous ministry that we would live in light of what they have taught us and the spiritual heritage which puts you, Lord, and your provision and your interaction with prayer on full display for us to see and to emulate. Hear now, your people. Move in a mighty way as only you can. We trust you and we love you. And we thank you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. If you're still praying, please continue as the band sings this final song. 